This week's episode is brought to you by Fairy Godmother Travel. Make 2015 your best year ever by planning an amazing Disney trip with Fairy Godmother Travel, the official travel partner of Communico Weekly. Just send them an email at communicoweekly at fairygodmothertravel.com and they will get you on your way to a magical Disney vacation. Welcome to Season 3! Hello, and welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I have my voice back. You hear that, everybody? So sorry to disappoint you. You're going to be hearing me forever. So did you ever find out what happened? Um, no. I, d- I, I think I was sick, maybe. I'm not entirely sure. I know people were happy I couldn't talk for a while. <laughs> well, uh, a few people were. Um, are you are you allergic to Sasquatch? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. I think there were some Sasquatch sightings that, that in the area. That's a, probably a fair point. That's probably exactly what it was. But I feel like he must have left, though, because everything cleared up. I mean, I feel better. Um, it got worse after we recorded last week, to be honest with you. Like, much worse. Um, hmm. But I feel great now. Which, which is good because we're the season finale is almost upon us. This is the episode before Ooh, the season finale. That's right. That's so, right. I mean, we should probably get into it because we got a lot of stuff to cram in the season three before it ends, right? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Oh, before we go, don't forget, email communicorweekly at gmail.com with your name, your address, and at least your birthday and month, not the year, for the season four surprise we can't really say anything we can't else, can say we? anything else but some of you are emailing going i'm sorry it's late it's never too late trust me we're never gonna be doing this all of season four so just get it in asap as soon as you can before your birthday preferably and then all will be revealed in a few weeks dun 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 it's the 50th anniversary of the 64 world's fair and the 49th anniversary of the So as we're winding down to the end of Season 3, as you guys already know, we've had this whole season-long thing where we talked about the 1964-1965 New York World's Fair. We went over a lot of the attractions that Disney was involved with. Uh, We went over the history of World's Fair itself. And to kind of round it out, we wanted to bring a special guest on the show to help talk about some things that happened after the fair so you guys know a little bit more about it. And... Who better to talk about After the Fair than a man who made a movie coincidentally called After the Fair? So, you know, we need the experts for, for this kind of thing. So we'd like to welcome Ryan Ritchie to the show to talk about a little bit about the World's Fair and what happened afterwards. So, Ryan, thank you for coming on and spending some time with us. Thank you. Greetings, gentlemen. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about the World's Fair throughout the year, and basically what it comes down to... It, it closed forever on October 17th, 1965, and then it was over and nothing was ever seen again, right? Like, what, what happened after that? Well, uh, in, in small part, it really, the day after the fair ended, the bulldozers started to move in, and you would think that means that everything is gone, but the movie would be very short <laughs> uh, <laughs> if that were the case. Uh, 
So what ended up happening was many objects from different pavilions ended up in all these strange, far-flung places, mainly around the United States, but a few internationally. And of course, uh, one of the biggest places that things ended up ended up being Disneyland. Oh, so, I've heard of this place. Okay, yes, tell me more about this. Tell, tell us more about Disneyland. This, Disneyland. this no. land of <laughs> Disney. So, for those of you who have uh, not heard of the film before or have not seen it before, um, just to give you a little backstory about it, it's a documentary about the legacy of the 1964-1965 World's Fair. Um, I guess, Ryan, you should probably explain a little bit more about it so our listeners know just exactly what it is. Well, when I started the project, which was four years ago now, uh, the, pl- the plan was just to sort of look at where some of these physical objects ended up. I thought, oh, this will be a cute little project. We'll, we'll see where things ended up from the fair. Isn't that neat? Uh, and move on with my day. I thought maybe it would be a three or four month project. But what <laughs> ended up happening <laughs> was I discovered all of these connections to not only the physical objects, but people who attended the fair, people who created the fair, uh, and especially the, the strong Disney connection. So what we do in the documentary is basically, first we start off, it's almost like a, a, a time machine back to 1964 for those of us like myself, I think like all three of us, who <laughs> weren't around when the fair occurred. And what kind of time machine did you use, just out of curiosity? <laughs> well, it'll be in Tomorrowland. Okay, fair enough. So. That's spoilers, folks. We don't want to get into that territory yet. <laughs> Let's just say it involves a pin. Okay. Mm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> so we take people back, and the first uh, third of the movie or so is uh, showing what the fair was like, and then of course we we move on to objects where these different objects ended up and what happened to them, and then a little bit about the people who were at the fair. Uh, and I can also share with you some of the uh, the things that didn't make the cut, maybe a little bit later on in the interviews. That was actually pictures. one of my questions, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so. To, to me, I mean, when I watch, I'm, I'm obsessed with the World's Fair stuff. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are, too, and so is George. It, it, to me, it's very interesting to know about the approach you took to the film itself, because, you know, a, a lot of people are looking at the fair itself and how it was in its heyday, but you took a look at it after the fair closed. W- what about it made you take that approach? W- what was so fascinating to see where the stuff ended up? Well, I think for me it was because I came to know the fair from the other direction. Basically, I became interested in the fair because I was obsessed with Epcot. And uh, so so as a, as a little boy, we would go each summer. I would, I would love Epcot. And I'm talking about Epcot Center. Let's get real. Here. Of course. <laughs> we, we know. Trust me. This isn't, this isn't the curly cube font Epcot with the wand. <laughs> This is and Epcot Center. Okay. In this corner we have Ryan, and in that <laughs> corner we have a poor defenseless theme park. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um. I hope it doesn't point its big wand. <laughs> uh, at any rate, so for me as I got older, you know, when I was a kid, I thought, oh, this is just so amazing. This Epcot Center, you know, those geniuses at Disney, this just cropped up out of the out of the earth in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. And then as I got older and, and researched it more, I would see more and more references to the 1964 World's Fair. And then one time, about uh, four and a half years ago, my wife and I we were driving through New York. I didn't realize at that time that anything from the fair was left in New York. And we're going down the highway, and all of a sudden there's these bizarre uh, 
structures rising above the road, like nothing you've seen before. And of course, now I know them and love them, and it's the New York State Pavilion Towers. But at the time, I was just mesmerized by it. So we pulled over, uh, pulled off the exit, went there to the World's Fair grounds, and just walked around. And when you're there, you just you really can sense the history of the place. And it, it feels like, literally, if you built Epcot, and then two years later, tore the whole thing down. <laughs> Can we tear Epcot down now? Is that what you're suggesting? <laughs> I was like, yeah, didn't hear that way. It, 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 it does seem like, you know, um, once people read about Epcot, it just eventually leads them to the World's Fair regardless. It was so influential, and I know we could spend probably a good year or two <laughs> looking back at all the exhibits and the pavilions that directly influenced Epcot. Um, where I was going to go with this question completely changed, so now I'm going to change where I go with it, Ryan. <laughs> Not that, that's just a new advance, but... Um, you've been talking about Epcot. So, what what was your okay? Well, what was your favorite pavilion in Epcot Center at the time? We'll just jump back a little bit. Well, it has to be Horizons. Uh, I'm I'm applauding you right now. <laughs> I mean, you talk about a ride that that just embodied all the principles of of Epcot Center. You had everything in Horizons, and by far that was uh, that was my favorite. Okay, yeah, that was one of those sad ones I wish my boys had been able to experience, but that's okay. Once we get the time travel technology fixed, I'll take them back there. Yes. Because no, nothing bad will happen. No, nothing bad ever happens nothing when time travel, happens George. at all. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, well, looking back a little bit about the World's Fair, if you could only visit one pavilion at the World's Fair right now, what would it be? What's your, what's your favorite World's Fair pavilion to think about? It changes from time to time, but I would uh, tonight. I would go with uh, Futurama, definitely General Motors Futurama too, okay. and it reminds me obviously of World of Motion at General Motors, but also some hints of Horizons. You had to look at the future, and it was a future in which uh, we would all have GM moon moon <laughs> rovers, and we'd get there in our GM rockets, uh, and that hasn't. Quite turned out, but in a way, I guess that's what's happening with uh, Elon Musk and SpaceX and Tesla. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah, absolutely, but, absolutely. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't have spent time at the Clairol Pavilion. <laughs> I wouldn't have even been allowed. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in the again. film, you talk. I mean, the the whole thing of the film is looking at some of these places that were at the 1964-65 World's Fair and where they eventually wound up. Out of all the things that wound up in other places, do you have one that is your favorite? I mean, something that really stood out to you that continues to live on today, or? Well, I have to discount everything in, in uh, everything that moved to Disneyland because obviously yeah. those would be my my top picks. Of course. Uh, after that, as far as uh, things that are no longer even on the site, I really, really liked the Austrian Pavilion. Now. Just a quick backstory, the Austrian Pavilion was for the country of Austria and was designed like a Swiss ski lodge. I mean, Austrian ski lodge. So, <laughs> the fair ends and the ski lodge, uh, it becomes actually a ski lodge. The building becomes a ski lodge in western New York and, uh, you know, kind of a pivotal point in the documentary, we visit the ski lodge and then shortly after that, it's destroyed by fire. So. Uh, oh, was that a spoiler? Did I just give a spoiler? Spoiler alert! <laughs> also, okay. guys, Snape kills Dumbledore, in case you haven't heard. <laughs> yes, yes, but not till after the World's Fair closed, of course. So, yes, of course. Know, that, was, that was part of it. That's where it went. No, well, just, I'm, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, just to build off of that, 
Sure. Even though I knew the outcome of the ski lodge because I had read about it, um, it was mm-hmm. still heartbreaking to see it in the film. Like you know, you show it in its heyday, you mm-hmm. show it when it moves to its no- new location, and then you cut to the footage of it burning down. And it, even though I knew that's what happened, it was still heartbreaking to see that progression of things. That this historic relic is no more uh, due to a fire, which was unfortunate. Well, any good movie has an enemy, and <laughs> fire. As I looked at this, uh, <laughs> close. As I, as I looked at this story, I thought, well, we don't really have an enemy. You know, this is just something that happened, and people enjoyed it. But in reality, the enemy is time, and uh-huh. these things are are uh, being destroyed. They're falling apart. We're losing the people who, who created a lot of these attractions. So, actually, I think uh, time was the enemy, and uh, maybe in the, uh, the special edition, we'll we'll. <laughs> We'll work oh. that in better. <laughs> so you're going to add Jabba the Hutt? Uh, I'm going to add a character called uh, Uni Uni Uni, <laughs> uh, based on the Unisphere. Oh, that's that's okay. Uh, all right, I'll be I'll be there at midnight for the uh, screening of it. Count that's me in. Absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, I was really surprised at the film, and it wasn't until I thought about it uh, afterward. A, a large chunk is dedicated to. The Disney attractions and everything like that. And I thought, well, those are probably the most famous uh, pieces to make it out of the World's Fair. Uh, but I was also the the, the rotating restaurant. Mm-hmm. That was from the Gas Pavilion. The Festival that, of Gas. That's yes. right. Festival of Gas. Which that's is right, going to be kids. a segment on Communicore Weekly. Right after the bathroom um, break, it's the <laughs> Festival of Gas. <laughs> so but so what, better, what better to have happened to the platform from the festival of gas than for it to become a place where they serve barbecue on um, three times a week you know so. <laughs> makes perfect sense to me kids <laughs> it, it, it seems so odd to see uh the fair when you present it in the first part and it seems so alive and usually it's just still still photos usually bill cotter's still photos because <laughs> um, he does have an amazing collection of world's fair memorabilia sure. but then to see uh, see the world's fair come to life at the beginning and then slowly see everything move away and see how it's used today really was fascinating to me um and beyond the disney stuff which you know we won't talk too much about um was there anything that really surprised you once you, you ran into it later that you didn't expect or I, I think if I roll out the Austrian pavilion, the, the mm-hmm. second my second favorite thing from the fair that mm-hmm. sort of surprised me too that it still existed was the G sixteen train from the Long Island Railroad Pavilion. Okay. What what's sort of funny about this is it's funny how it's the little things that survived. You have these big, huge pavilions that people knew and loved and, and those are gone. But the trash cans are in another amusement park. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the lights are still in places. The uh, the Greyhound escorters can still be found. So it's it's kind of interesting how some of the smaller, maybe not as consequential pieces of the fair existed. I would have just assumed that if the little G16 train that people could get on and ride around existed at all, no one would have any idea where it ended up or, or that mm-hmm. it had any connection to the fair. But you could go uh, to the Railroad Museum in Long Island today and hop on there. And I believe that is the only, well, that's not entirely true, but it's the only fair attraction that was built specifically for the fair, not at Disney, that you can ride on. How's that? 
Did you follow that? Was that I, I, sort of? <laughs> I did. Question I think so. mark. <laughs> there's, Unless... there's a there's a carousel that's still at uh, Flushing Meadows Corona Park, and there's a different carousel that ended up in Canada. But beyond that, and everything at Disney, I believe the G16 train is the only attraction it, you can pay your money, get on, and ride around it just like you could 50 years ago. Is the, are the sky buckets gone from Six Flags? Would they have? They're still there. Point, well, at this point, they've all been replaced, though. Oh, okay, okay. That's there a part were, of this. Okay. Yeah, there were a few, uh, few that were still used for maintenance chores that had the the tops cut off. Uh, other than the part that, it, <laughs> other than the part that attached to the cable, it would be a very short trip, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was wondering how that was going to work. I was like, well, whose bright idea was this? As a total sidebar, I mean, Great Adventure, Six Flags Great Adventure was the theme park I grew up going to since I lived in New Jersey. So I don't remember when I found out that they were from the World's Fair. Uh, I mean, I had to be 18 or 19 at the time when I finally find out. But it totally blew my mind that this thing was still in working order that was used in, you know, in the world's fair um not so much anymore obviously since they replaced them all but it was so really cool to have a piece of history in my local theme park like that and on another tangent that six flags great adventure park uh when you look at the original plans for that park that could have really really been something i mean it was a monorail it was a hotel it sounds a lot like a certain other theme park that we know of in which the- one? Oh yeah which one are you talking about <laughs> i of course am referring to wet and wild <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there were similar things with Carowinds and Charlotte that, of course, got <laughs> hit by the, the 1970s. But, we, you know, that's that's a whole other show altogether. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to hear the rest of our interview with Ryan, please tune in next week for episode 156, the season finale of Commuter Core Weekly Season 3. He's a nerd. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his speech. Ah! It's George's Book of the Week. This week's book is Two Girls and a Mouse Tale by Ellie and Caroline Collins. So Ellie and Caroline sent us review copies of their book, and uh, it's all about their extended Disney College program, or DCP, that they had at Walt Disney World. Uh, The two sisters spent the fall and spring semesters at the DCP and blogged about their experiences. And they turned the blog slash diary into a book with uh, the intent to help students and potential DCP candidates uh, to decide if it would be a worthwhile program for them. Yeah, so the the college program right now is, is really a big deal. I feel like, you know, now more than ever, more and more college students are trying to get in and to experience working for Disney firsthand. And there are literally countless blogs and message boards devoted to the topic right now. But it's kind of hard to find all of the content in the same place about the experience. Uh, you know, like what to expect and what to bring, what not to bring, you know, how the actual experience is and, and all that other stuff. So Ellie and Caroline kind of uh, helped solve that problem by writing this book. Yeah, the, the sisters, they, they really have done an excellent job of presenting what you need to know to get into the DCP, as well as how you need to think about the experience as a whole, because it sounds like that's a part that a lot of people mess up when they're thinking about uh the experience, or like the job, the interviews, and everything like that. Um, after reading the book Amber Earns Her Ears, I wasn't sure what to expect, since that title, Amber Earns Her, Earns Her Ears, left me very, very cold. And I knew this was part of the same series. Um, Ellie and Caroline obviously love Disney, 
and want to share their experiences with, with the world. Uh, they mix the good stuff with the not-so-good stuff, and they, they present a fairly eye-open memoir of their time, really. So, just to be fair, you know, it's, it's college-age kids, and they're all crammed together in a small space, and they're not really knowing who each other are, and they're all forced to live together. So, of course, the problems are going to come up, and personalities are going to clash. That's just how life is in general. But... It was interesting to me to see how uh, the sisters gave some tips on how to deal with roommates that really aren't pulling their weight and you know how they managed to deal with, with their own roommates that were like that. And the advice can even go for college dormates as well. I mean, it's really interchangeable, but the, the chips and suggestions in the book were extremely helpful. Uh, and I can see anyone looking to go into the DCP finding this book inv- invaluable overall. Um, having said that, though, we did take a couple of issues with the book. Yeah, the, the girls both write really well, um, but they would often switch between first and third person in, in the same paragraph, and sometimes even in the same sentence. And it, it made the text very confusing and unfortunately very hard to follow at times. Um, along the same lines, they would forget to introduce who was writing a specific section, and you'd have to backtrack to figure out if it was Ellie or Caroline that was talking about that part and on a kind of smaller nerdier note we found kind of uh, some inconsistencies about some of the disney facts that were presented you know at one point it was said that the yeti and expression everest was broken because he was jumping up and down when you know he never did that it was the force of his arm movements causing the damage and there was mention about who created the four keys to safety which was uh it was mentioned in the book it was it was walt himself but it was actually dick nunes um but you know these small things that disney nerds like us you know we catch and they make us scratch our heads Um, you know, and there were also some grammatical and spelling errors throughout, so we probably could have used one more editing pass, but considering considering it was a small, uh, publishing press book, I mean, that's kind of to be expected. Yeah. Um, the, the negative points, you know, that we mentioned, it really shouldn't turn you against the book. Not at all. It's just something that's important to mention, especially when you're, as we mentioned earlier, when you're dealing with a small press title like this. Professionalism does count. It really does. Still, Ellie and Caroline offer a lot of great information, and they're very positive about Walt Disney World with, without being too full of pixie dust. And, and it's something that just hit me about the review is Amber earns her ears. You know, really, it, it depressed both of us. Yes, yes, it did. She, did. she didn't enjoy her process. Ellie and Caroline, no matter what happened, they had a great time. Yeah, and they, it comes across. En- yeah, they enjoyed themselves. They enjoyed each other, their roommates. They did say it was really hard. And in some cases, you were working more than 40 hours a week, but they had a good time and they enjoyed it. But they but they didn't do it with all the pixie dust. Yes. You know, which was which I thought was nice. You know, anytime, you know, we have emailed them or even in the book itself, they have come across as super sweet and super charming. And you can tell mm-hmm. how much they really enjoyed working for the company, despite, you know, some of the issues they may have had and how much they enjoyed writing the book as well. So, I mean, major props to them for that. And, you know, we, we think the information in the book is presented in a really good way and it's invaluable to people who are going into the program it's it's a super handy guide and i think a lot of people will definitely make use of it it's definitely the most comprehensive guide that i've seen about the dcp and it's great for folks to have all the information in one place yeah so i think if if you're a a student or a parent and you've got an interest in the disney college program and you want to apply definitely pick up this book it's one of the better ones i've run across uh, about the disney college program and does a lot of great explaining about the whole process. So um, if you're interested, it's Two Girls and a Mouse Tale by Ellie and Caroline Collins. 
Sometimes it's a one. Sometimes it's a two. When you gotta go, what you gonna do? It's a bathroom break. A bathroom break. So let's talk about a bathroom that isn't in a theme park. But if you're visiting Disneyland, it may come in handy before or after your trip. Most people, while driving to Disneyland for the day, will wind up parking at the Mickey and Friends parking structure. Now, aside from me hating parking there with all of my being and every fiber in my body, uh, they do have a pretty nice restroom located on the ground floor uh, just behind the escalators. Now, the bathrooms themselves are very colorful and bright, and at night they have some kind of cool lights outside of them, which makes it really, really cool. Um, the stalls are molded uh, cor Corian, and, you know, how do I know that? What's what's the point? What's the significance? I don't know. I have no idea, but it's there, and it looks great. Um, in the park itself, space is premium, so sometimes there is a line to wash your hands afterward. But here, I mean, the toilet-to-sink ratio is pretty great. You have the luxury of being able to walk directly to a sink to wash your hands, so that's something I enjoy. Um, and they even have drinking fountains out front. with like The, the water actually swirls, which is really weird. I've never seen a war uh, drinking fountain do that before. And there's step stools for the kids to get it. And there's even a tall drinking fountain for a tall person so they don't have to bend over all the way. That, to me, is the sign of a well-thought-out uh, bathroom. So next time you're going to Disneyland, be sure to check out the Mickey and Friends parking structure restroom because top-notch, ladies and gentlemen. Top-notch. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat. One of Walt's favorite books of all time is none other than Main Street Windows. But coming into a close second is The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. He loved it so much that he even paid a massive homage to it with Tom Sawyer Island at Disneyland. Before, Pirates took it over a few years ago in an amazing case of synergy. The same concept was applied at the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World with their own version of Tom Sawyer Island. Now, even better, you can still actually explore the fort there, unlike at Disneyland, which is closed off and is used as a storage area for cats, which is very unfortunate. Um, but the name of the fort at uh, the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World is Fort Langhorn. Now, this pays tribute to the real name of Tom Sawyer author Mark Twain, and his real name is none other than Samuel... Langhorn Clemens. That's right. Langhorn is his middle name, and I am very jealous of that being his middle name. It's it's not named after Foghorn Langhorn like I originally thought. I think George said that too. But uh, I was well. I mean, being a librarian, I knew Mark Twain's real name, but I really was wishing I could do a Foghorn Langhorn. Now, now I say now I say now George. Now that was not it at all. No, not even close. That was not even close. You know, I'm done. I, I think, Forget it. I think I could do um um. Wow, you got nothing. Remember the name? No, no, the little tiny. Arriva, arriva, epe, epe, underle, underle. Speedy Gonzalez. Speedy Gonzalez. Wow, that was really bad. So that was a that was a bad impersonation. But we are obviously a Disney podcast and not a Warner Brothers. Exactly. Podcast. Although if Warner Brothers wanted to sponsor us, I mean, we could delve into have your Warner people Brothers call our history. people. You know, we can talk about the Warner Brothers and their Warner sister Dot. I hear they it. roam around the Warner Brothers lot. And they lock them in the tower whenever they get caught. But then they break... Anyway, so that's a topic for another time. Yes, it is. I love the... Uh... 
Wow. Animaniacs. Some, Sorry, I had yeah, to do it like at that some, point. Some of, some of the jaunts that we go on that yes. are completely unexpected and honestly not scripted at all. No, they're not. As this is why people time. like us. We think. Is it? I thought it was because we paid them lots of money. That may also be a thing. May or may not. <laughs> Who knows? Um, anyway, well, guys, uh, thank you so much for watching and listening to another episode of Communicore Weekly. Please leave us a comment and give us a rating on iTunes. Yep, and be sure to email us at communicoreweekly at gmail.com. Email us anything you'd like, but we are interested in your name, your birthday, and your postal address for something special. That's communicoreweekly at gmail.com. And of course, like us at Facebook at facebook.com slash communicoreweekly. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. And of course, you can always give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat line at 424-785-4628. And was Michael Eisner always a bad guy? I guess we'll never know, at least the darkest timeline. Pick up your copy of Communicore Weekly the Musical and find out more about it. You can listen to it for free on Google Play or Spotify, or buy your own copy on Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby. And of course, check out the Commuter Store at CommuterCoyly.com, and you'll find all sorts of fun shirts and stuff that you can buy. For Jeff Heimbuck, I'm George Taylor. And for George Taylor, I'm Jeff Heimbuck. Thanks so much for listening, guys and gals. We'll see you next time on CommuterCore Weekly, the greatest online show. Yeah.